If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to find John chapter number 4. And as you find that place there, let's just review everything in John so far. Um, Liam was excited about that. Amen. Translation, he's not mad to be here. So we were introduced to Jesus in the first half of John chapter number one, or the first third, you might say, and, and then we saw him call his first disciples, Philip and Nathanael, and, and then, uh, you know, uh, or his first disciples, and then Philip and Nathanael, and then in chapter two, we saw the, the wedding at, uh, the wedding miracle at Cana, where, uh, you know, he turned water into wine. Everybody always gets excited about that one. And then he cleansed the temple. And it's a great, that's a great juxtapose right there. You did the thing at a party that no one would ever expect you to do. And then um, you did the thing at church that no one would ever expect you to do. And then, then from there, we saw the powerful conversation with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a ruler in Israel. And there he went to the Judean countryside where his disciples were baptizing like John the Baptist's disciples. And it gave John the Baptist the opportunity to bring more glory and exaltation to Jesus. And not wanting to distract from the last days of John, the well, I believe anyway, not wanting to distract from the last days of John the Baptist's ministry before he was arrested. Jesus was on his way back to Galilee, to Cana again. And he goes through Samaria and has this incredible encounter with the woman at the well. And then he proceeds on his journey, and that's where we see him tonight. And tonight we get another miracle. And what's interesting is um, in the miracle with the, with the woman, the, uh, uh, the, the woman, the miracle was that he dealt with people nobody expected him to deal with. And the miracle at the wedding is that he did something no one ever expected him to do. Jesus is always doing the unexpected. And tonight that gets turned around. Somebody comes because they expect something out of Jesus. And that's a, that's a real eye-opener. And it's a, it makes me ask a question of myself. What do I go to Jesus for? Do I go expecting something from Jesus? What do I go expecting? And then in moments where I'm not expecting anything from Jesus, Why? Why wouldn't I be expecting anything from Jesus if he's holding all of creation together by the word of his power and he is going to reconcile all things to the Father and everything is going to be worked out through Jesus? It tells me every single thing is related to him. Shouldn't I deal with anything and everything and anyone and everyone with some expectation that Jesus is going to show up? And if I'm not expecting him and he shows up, how am I willing to respond to Jesus? Over and over again, Jesus comes into places where people don't expect him. But tonight, someone comes to him because they have an expectation. What I want us to see more than anything, and I want us to be sure we see this, is that Christ is able in every situation and he's available to all sorts of people. Let me say that again. He's able in every situation and available to all people. Now, I say able because he doesn't always do what we want him to do. There's nothing he can't do. He has a place in every circumstance. There's no joy. I would call it an honest joy. There's no honest joy where Jesus can't make sweeter. And there's no horrible sorrow 
to which Jesus cannot minister. And so I would say put your heart in this dual position where you say, you know, would I let Jesus step into any moment and be the boss? Would I let him? Would I let him step into any moment and be the boss? Then put yourself in this other, the other side of the coin, is am I looking for him to be the boss in every situation? Would you let him be? If you forgot to include him and he stepped in, would you let him be? And if you were thoughtful at all that he might deal with you, do you invite him to be Lord? John chapter number 3, we're going to pick up a couple details, beginning at verse 43, and the bulk of the passage will be 46 through 54. After the two days, that's the two days he spent in Samaria. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in, uh, Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was where, church? You notice it? At the point of death. How desperate is this situation? He is at the point of death. Now, just stop right there. Parents, what would you do if your child was at the point of death? I want you guys to hold that thought. I think we all can hold it, but you parents in particular, what would you do if your child was at the point of death? So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we humbly ask you to open this word to us. Father, give us more than the literary mind could absorb, help us to feel the pulse of heaven, to get revelation, illumination that only you could give. And then, Father, more than the intellect, Father, lead us to depend on Jesus and apply these truths to our life. Now, God, help your people in your word as only you can. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. So if you've ever prepared a teaching or a sermon, you know, you, you sort of say, you know, where can I go with this? Well, I found four sermons in this, and I thought, wow, I think I'm just going to email uh, uh, the, the, the music leaders and Casey and Brett and just say, I think I'm going to preach four sermons right here. And uh, I imagine how that would play out. Casey would say, okay. Brett would say, okay. Michael would say, okay. John would say, okay. And then I just said, or, guys, you know, in my mind, or, guys, I could just preach all four sermons one night and no one would make a sound. They wouldn't think it was okay. They just wouldn't respond and say, that's okay. So I went with the latter option and didn't email them at all, and it's going to be okay. Four sermons tonight. 
sermon number one. You ready? This passage reveals to us three sorts of people and how they respond to Jesus. Three sorts of people and how they respond to Jesus. Now, I immediately want to say, you know, where do I generally fall in these categories? Because I know there's sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm all of these people. I have these situations where I can just be this guy number one you'll see in a moment. And I have situations where I can be guy number two. But what I really want to be is guy number three all the time. Let's take a look at this real quick. Now, this passage shows us something kind of amazing. Some people are those sorts of people that reject Jesus outright. Now, you know, you know, sometimes you look all week for a sermon illustration and it doesn't come to you until the 12th hour. The other night I was listening to some folks give their testimony. And one guy says a co-worker shared the gospel with him and he believed on the Lord. It was immediate conviction and just fell under the conviction of the Lord. Gave his life to the Lord and they said it had just been a few days prior to that. They said, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Isn't it amazing how somebody can move from rejection to acceptance? This passage shows us this to a degree. This passage shows us. Look back in the uh, chapter 4, verse 44. Jesus said, these people don't receive me. And this isn't the first time this has come up. If you back up further in chapter 4, all the way to uh, verses 16 through 21, uh, but partic- I mean 16 to 24, but particularly... In verse 22, go back and look at that real quick uh, in your Bibles. John 4, 22. This is an amazing verse, okay? It says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Their neighbors rejected all of the Jews' worship. They rejected the Jews' idea of, of, of where to meet with God at the temple. They rejected his notions of how the Messiah would come, who the Messiah would come from. Well, it's actually worse than that. You can back up in the scriptures all the way back into chapter 1, and it says some people rejected Jesus. They rejected the light. Why? Who remembers? Why did they reject the light, church? Because they love darkness. Isn't that amazing? So we know people who just flat out reject Jesus. I'll never forget doing prison ministry one time. I asked a guy, would you like to talk about Jesus? He says, I would not. And I said, are you willing to tell me everything you know about Jesus? You know what he told me? He says, he has always been just the white man's conquering agent. And I I couldn't deny that historically a lot of of people have built empires behind a false presentation of Jesus. You can't deny that. And I said, but have you ever met the real Jesus? He said, I don't want to. So I went on to minister to other people. I came back. I said, do you think people have the wrong idea about you? Yeah, I shouldn't even be in jail. I said, wouldn't you like people to know the real you? I see where you're going. I still don't want to know Jesus. You ever think somebody's ever got the wrong idea about you? You think you've ever gotten the wrong idea about Jesus? Some people won't even go a little bit further because they're scared that Jesus is going to get in their business. So some people just reject him outright. Uh, Some people, there there are those who receive Jesus for what he can do like a vending machine. Just drop back into the passage in John 4, 47 through 48. You know, they heard Jesus was there, so they wanted to come get something from him. People do that all the time. And I've seen tons of people say, I believe on Jesus, and they pray and pray and pray on a situation, and when it doesn't come true, they stop believing in Jesus. Anybody ever done that? I have. I've had greater faith in moments where I had expectation And when Jesus didn't do what I wanted him to do to the degree I wanted him to do it, at the time I wanted him to do it, I backed off in my relationship. There are some people 
to the terror of their souls. This is the way they approach Jesus. But then there's some people who just come to Jesus humbly. You look at verse number 49. It says this guy was an official. Yet he came humbly to Jesus. The passage bears that out in multiple ways. He listens to Jesus' words. He takes Jesus at his word. He leaves obediently and believes with faith. And then his faith is, is met on the road by his servants. And he knows that he's dealt with the real deal. Tonight, if you grabbed a bulletin, and I hope you grabbed a bulletin, I, I gave a printout that I love to give from time to time. I included in the bulletin is a ton of scriptures on humility. I want to tell you there's nothing, nothing in this world that will replace humility. Somebody say amen. So I want to share, just, I just want to read two of my favorite passages that address humility. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, says this. But he gives more what, church? Grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, he's also giving grace to the proud until he's not giving grace to them. In other words, that he lets somebody be proud for a season is grace because the season's going to close. He continues, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will do what, church? Exalt you. Now, I used to date a girl who worked at a veterinarian place. And uh, one of her jobs was cleaning up the places where the animals were kept. Do I have to spell out to y'all what cleaning up the places, the animals? Okay, praise the Lord. Now, I grew up mucking out stalls, horse stalls, cow barns. We had an uncle who, if somebody had an old barn they wanted to clean out, he wanted to go get it, and he wanted to put the soil on top of his garden. You know, but generally we came along and done that <clears throat> either when it was really old or <clears throat> there was a layer of hay that helped the process not be so unbearable. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Well, I liked this girl so much that I would go and help her with this task. Yes, and it was uh, <clears throat> raw. And you would do one part, and then after that part, you would get a water hose. And if the water hose didn't work, you had to get a scrubby brush. Yeah. And I'm sitting there one day, and I literally, I'm spraying. And I decide, I don't like her this much. <laughs> I mean, no joke, I just go, mm. You know, I, I was doing this just because she's working late on Fridays, and I really want to be near her. But the more I do this, she's not worth it. Hence, I'm married to care. Get care's story. She's never worked in a veterinarian place. We're not talking about care. I think sometimes we feel like humility means we're always in the back of the veterinarian's office doing something terrible like this. What if we began to see humility as simply opening the invitation to draw near to God? What if we said, I am willing... I am willing to go low so that I might meet with him who sits on high. And probably top 10, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, is Isaiah 57, 15. 
For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Isaiah says God lives in two places, in heaven and with the humble person. You ever thought you'd be the person that would invite Jesus to leave your life? You ever thought that your, 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 your agent who would kick Jesus out of your life would be pride? Certainly the agent that invites him in is humility. What's my point in all this? As you go deeper into this gospel, we're going to run into people who literally want to kill Jesus. What's this guy do? He come and pleads to Jesus. He's an official. Jesus is a social nobody. But he says, wow, he's doing stuff only God can do. I'm going to approach Jesus. What is our approach to Jesus like? Do we come humble? Or do we come making declarations and claiming that we're going to get to tell him what to do? There's a lot of folks that do that. This guy comes humbly. Second sermon. Let us see that grace and faith by which Jesus saves. Now grace, grace, we would all agree, is God's unmerited favor. It's, it's given all the time. How do I know God's unmerited favor is giving all the time? Play along with me. Ready? On the count of three, take a deep breath. Ready? One, two, three. Let it out. That the air is balanced and there's enough oxygen without poisons in it that you could do that is grace, because we sure are trying to blow the world up. That your body is working correctly in a time where so many people's air capacity is not working correctly. It's grace. How many of you guys can see good enough to say how many fingers I got up? On the count of three, tell me. One, two, three. Man, wow. Christina had the baby. What's wrong with you? It's grace. Do you know that the balance of chemicals in your eye is unexplainable by science? Evolution will never answer it. You're either blind or you're not. On and on. Everybody experiences grace. But I want to I put something forward here. Unmerited favor is the baseline definition for grace. It's much deeper. I, I don't think anyone who can say it better than the uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it. Listen to this very carefully. It's a marvelous quote. He says, when we deserve nothing but punishment in hell, when we deserve nothing but to reap the fruit of our own sowing, when we were nothing but the children of wrath, God, because of his eternal and everlasting love, according to his knowledge and wisdom, looked upon us with that eye of favor so that now we are peculiarly under his grace. In other words, it wasn't just we just received some favor. It was in the face of no circumstances at all that would make God want to lean in. But he leans in. Who is this guy that walks up to Jesus? He's a guy that's heard that Jesus does things for people with no reward for himself and no reason towards them. In other words, he can't explain it. It's not transactional. It's grace. I would also maintain that humility positions us to see See, to see God's grace and see it magnified and multiplied, that's what I believe is happening here. Some, some of you know this, some of you don't, but one of the things I did in my past time is I, I repossessed things. I got people's cars when they didn't make payments. 
I was one of those guys. I worked for a guy who owned 20 some hundred properties and I'd knock on your door and say, you got to get out. You know, you got to get out. One guy uh, one time was holding a very vicious Rottweiler on a chain. And he's holding the dog, it's, rawr, 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 you know, and he's got his feet up off the ground. And, and the guy's yelling, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to turn my dog loose. And I held up a rather large pistol. Truth be known, it was an air gun. I held up a rather large pistol, and I said, if you don't pull that dog in, I'm going to let my dog loose. That man pulled that dog in. Oh, come on in, sir. How you doing today, you know? That's the way we're used to working, muscle against muscle, meanness against meanness. So imagine someone who would see God gives grace and say, how much more, how much more is God willing to give grace to the one who's willing to receive grace? The man comes to Jesus. You saw the whole story. He says, uh, please fix my son. Jesus points out the problem of the flesh. He says, you guys want signs and wonders. And the guy just says, no, sir, please, please help my son. It wasn't about signs and wonders. It was about the life of his child. How does faith work in this? Faith is key in the story. Second, uh, the second thing I'd say about this, this story that's really big, that's just hidden in plain sight, is that God just believes on the Lord. Let's look at his faith really quickly. God the Father showed the man Jesus, and the man came looking to trust in Jesus. Now, think about the detail of this. Jesus is coming back to Cana of Galilee. This guy hears Jesus coming back to Cana of Galilee, and he goes, it's like a revelation. That's your guy. And the guy goes searching for Jesus, who had given him any idea that Jesus would work. God. The Father revealed him to him the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this guy comes and says, I've been made to believe, and I have some mustard seed of belief that Jesus can help me, so I'm going to Jesus. As the man looked to Jesus, he also heard from Jesus, and the man took Jesus at his word. Did you guys catch that part of the story? He says, going back home, and the guy turns and goes back home. When's the last time Jesus told you to do something and you didn't do it? Not too long ago, I watched a couple have a minor spat. And within moments, they resolved it. And one person apologized to the other just as publicly as they had disagreed with them. And I thought, Wow. How did that happen? It happened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they took each other at their word that they believed that the situation was over and they moved on merrily in their way. I cannot tell you how many times Carabos has made me mad and the Holy Spirit has urged me to go reconcile. And I went, <laughs> she can come first. She started all this mess anyway. Trust me, if it happens in my house, care starts it. You know how I know? Because if you let me, I don't say nothing to nobody. This care. But look at this story. Jesus says, hey, he says, come help my son. He said, go on home. Your son, your son's going to be okay. The guy turns and goes home. Would you have done that? I probably would have kidnapped Jesus. I don't know what the 2,000-year-old version of a pistol was, maybe a slingshot, but he'd have walked all the way to my house with me holding the slingshot. You're going to get down here and fix my kid. But he believed Jesus. Faith itself did not save, but faith puts trust in the saver, 
See, some people say if you believe, just believe in something, and if you believe in it enough, it is enough. No, this man came to Jesus, and he believed in Jesus, and Jesus done the work. And last but not least, faith initially grounded in Jesus is faith in Jesus that grows. I really want you to hone in on verse 53. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. This is a tremendous verse. He believed just enough to go investigate Jesus. He believed just enough more to head back home. But now when he sees what Jesus has done, he believes all the way and it leads to his house believing. Now, you can look at this in so many ways. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace and faith are so critical to the sovereign work of God. God sovereignly gives us unmerited favor. And God sovereignly gives us the gift of faith. And God sovereignly points us where to put that faith. And this is a beautiful story. You can study it the rest of the evening. You'll see how that unfolds. Let's imagine, let's imagine an old school drink machine. I know none of you young people have seen these, but you used to have these drink machines you just walk up to and put coins in. And you'd push a button and the thing would bloop and come out of the machine. It was amazing. And you could... It was the store in the middle of the night. It really was because they would be outside of stores and you could go at 2 in the morning and get them out and do if you wanted to. It was amazing. So let's imagine that, that, that Clay, Clay is thirsty. Clay doesn't even know what his problem is, doesn't even know how he's going to solve it. But I, I say to Clay, Clay, there's a drink machine. Well, in Clay's case, it's probably something, some, some, some of that Christian liquor called kombucha or something weird like that. There's a kombucha machine. There's a hot tea machine. Something. It's going to be something. Something healthy. And, and Clay goes, uh, you know, I believe that, but how do I access it? How do I, how do I access it? And I say, here, Clay, here's coins. And so with a little change in his pocket, going ring-a-ling-a-ling, he heads over to the kombucha machine. And what does he do? What does he do because of this revelation and this gift? He puts the coins in and gets the kombucha. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Faith is something God gives us. It's a gift. And when it goes where it should go, it will result in a reward and a relationship that only God can give. We didn't even come up with the faith. It's a gift from God. We didn't even know to call out to him. We didn't even know to trust Jesus. This is this man's story. God reveals Jesus to him. God gives him enough faith to go to Jesus. He gives him a growing faith in Jesus until there's a culminated faith in Jesus. Sermon number three. Let us see the stages of faith as they're unveiled here. I won't take time to cull all this out. Let me just run it off to you. You take notes. Flesh it out in Life Together group this week. There's a crisis in verse 46. What's the crisis? The crisis is there's a guy whose kid is sick. And later on, we learn that he's sick to the point of death in verse 47. There's a crisis. People have all sorts of crisis or crises. I, this is, this is a terrible testimony. This is a terrible testimony. I did not fear hell 
for most of my life. Hell, you know, I didn't like the idea of it. Somebody say amen. But I didn't fear hell. Somebody, somebody would say, well, if you don't believe in God, you're going to hell. And, and one of my favorite comebacks was, well, I'll probably see you there. That's a real terrible thing to say to somebody, isn't it? Do you know what my crisis was? My crisis was that I feared that God would lift the conviction off my life. Because as long as there was conviction, I felt like he was dealing with me. So in March of 1997, I felt like I discerned that God was saying, I'm getting ready just to leave you alone. That scared me to death. Scared me. And my crisis that day, I became terribly afraid that God would take away the pain and sorrow of sin. I didn't think the problem was that he wanted to solve that. I thought that he would just leave me alone and make me numb, and it scared me. That was my crisis. What was this guy's crisis? He's worried about his kid. What has been your crisis? The second stage of faith is, is humility. When you start saying there's something that I don't have power over, I don't have the power to solve, you say, let me go to someone who does. Uh, I, I called the IRS the, last week. I, I called them. I got a letter in the mail from the IRS, and it was said, you're going to give us more money. And it's for one of these many reasons. Call us and talk to us, and we'll take your money. So I call them, and I press, like, you know, seven for this and four for this and two for this and BR549, and I finally got a human being, and I, and I said, I got this letter, and I'm supposed to call you guys. She said, let me transfer you to this department. I got excited. They transferred me. It rang three times. The machine picked up, says, we, we don't have anybody to take your call, and we're not taking messages, and it hung up on me. Well, I got really panicked then, I, and so I called Carolyn. I was like, Carolyn, how many times do you have to call the RS? She says, we can't talk to them either. And you know, you know what Carolyn said to me? She says, uh, she says Tim, uh, create you an online account. And when she said I said, oh, boy, I have one. And she's like, yeah, go log in, and it'll tell you, it'll show you every letter they've sent to you. I logged in, and the first beautiful thing I saw was dollar sign zero point zero zero. You owe nothing. Yeah, as a place that here's all the documents we've sent you. There was no document there. You know, I hung up. I was so happy. Then I felt dumb. I says, I called Carolyn to bug her, and she says, log into your account. They have all your information, dummy, not me. She didn't say that, but that's the way I felt. I can't tell you how many times we don't approach Jesus just because we're so worried about how we're going to look or feel. This guy's done with that. Why? Because the crisis is dictated to humility. Part of the problem living in a country where there's so much food and it's so easy to get uh, shelter and it's so easy to, to be entertained. It's so easy to be okay in the flesh. Until something really happens, we generally don't go looking for the Lord. Then he begins to plead with him. I, I love verse 47. Jesus said, y'all just want some signs. He says, please, please, come down. Come down and heal my son. We, well, I need you. Oh, excuse me, verse 49. Sir, please come down. Come down before my child dies. Until you say there's a crisis that I can't fix and you're willing and you're willing to humble yourself before the Lord, you don't know what this is like. Have you ever seen that sin is something you can't fix? It is. 
Then that next, what I'd call the next stage of faith is found in verses 48 and 49. It says, uh, he says to him, you see the signs and wonders, and, and, and the man says to him, come down. In other words, he's saying, I still believe you're the answer, and I'm going to hang with you. This is one of those things I could talk about all day long. This week, Rachel and I were reading the Gospel of Mark. Rachel, you remember we got to the passage on the parable of the soils. Remember that amazing thing Jesus said in the parable of soils? He says, this parable is the key to every single parable. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? You know what it basically, that, that basically teaches? The seed falls on some good soil that's ready to receive it, it's ready to take root, it's better to, ready to bear fruit. Then there's three kinds of soils where the seed doesn't flourish in. There's that weedy kind of soil that chokes the seed. There's the shallow soil where it takes root, but it doesn't have enough room for the root to be healthy. And then there's the packed soil where the seed never gets into. Jesus says, this is the key to every parable. Now think about persevering. Just think about it for a second. A lot of people, a lot of people are like those weeds. They got so much going on, they can't hear from God. A lot of people are like that shallow soil. They will listen to Jesus when it's easy, but not when it gets hard. And a lot of people will never listen to Jesus. This guy right here, Jesus says, uh, just go home. You, you, you've walked some ways to ask me to help for your son. Yeah, just go home. But he perseveres. He perseveres. When you have any inclination that Jesus is the answer, faith will take you deeper by causing you to hold on to Jesus. The fifth stage is obedience. When Jesus tells him to turn around and go home, he does it. The sixth stage is the realization that Jesus, that God, his truth is the real deal. In verses 51 and 52, his, his sermons come, and they say, uh, uh, hey, everything's okay. And then he realizes, man, God's a, God is a promise keeper. And then that last stage is is commitment. Verses 53 and 54, he says, man, Jesus is who I'm going to believe in. And because of this, his household believes. And not only that, we're still talking about it all these years later. I want you guys to think about for a real quick moment how we generally approach prayer meetings. I'm going to make this up. Let's say, let's say Donnie, says, uh, Donnie says my head hurt. Annie says my knee hurts. Uh, Sarah says Clay's bothering me. Clay says Sarah's bothering me. Amy says... My boss is getting on my nerves. Now, what we usually do from that point is say, stop my head from hurting, stop my knee from hurting, fix Clay, fix Sarah, fix my boss. Have you ever thought that sometimes the crisis comes to make you dig into Jesus? When's the last time you had a problem and you said, I'm going to dig into Jesus until I draw closer to Jesus? Maybe the problem, the crisis, is the biggest blessing I've got in a while. Fourth and last sermon. Let us see the witness of faith to others. This guy's family comes to believe, and we're sitting here talking about this story to today. That's all them sermons. What is the big theological application? I told you at the beginning. It's not a single honest joy that Jesus can't make sweeter there's not a single difficulty that he can't minister to here's the question whether whether it's a party or a potential funeral will we call on Jesus will we accept his answer and hold on to him no matter what here's my contention brothers and sisters as we see Jesus do this miracle one thing that ought to be 
really poignant to us is Jesus didn't have to go down to that guy's house to do his work. When is the last time you humbled yourself and asked God to work in your life? When is the last time you reminded yourself that because he's an omnipotent, omniscient Lord, he doesn't need to come down out of the heavens and do this. He can do it right from where he is. When is the last time, when is the last time that we stopped fighting and opened our hands and said, do whatever you want to do in my life? When is the last time we saw the usefulness of our crises? There's so much to unpack in this, in this small passage. I didn't even hit anything but the tip of the iceberg. But the big truth that we should not miss, Jesus is the Lord over every situation. He's the Lord of creation. He can touch water and make it wine. He's the Lord over time and space. He doesn't need to go there. He doesn't need to be there. He can operate no matter what. He is the Lord over the human body. Does he always heal everybody on this earth? No. But what does he do to everybody who comes to him? He receives them. There's often things in our lives that are much worse than physical sickness. And a lot of times he allows the physical sickness so that we'll go to the bigger problem. Now, Donnie, I don't know if your head's hurting. Annie, I know your, your knee is hurting. Oh, praise God. Praise God. If you've been married more than 15 minutes, you're getting on each other's nerves. Amen. You know, because that's, that's, that's just the nature, right? Amy, you're the only one. Your boss is perfect. Praise God. Thanks, Tammy. To, uh, later on, we'll be celebrating Tammy's raise. Um, no, but in all seriousness, what's your problem? What's your problem? Going back to work tomorrow, Casey? Probably ought to seek Jesus. Uh, I mean, right? You know? I, I, I can look, I can name a problem almost everybody here got. What's your problem and have you taken it to Jesus? Will you hold on? Will you hold on and let him use the thing to draw you closer to him? Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage it's packed. It's incredible. It's one of these moments where not having the time to open its fullness, I, I literally feel like a failure. But you can always do more with your word in a moment than I could do with it in thousands of moments. So, Father, I pray you take your word and, and enliven the minds of of people. You take your word and enliven the souls of people. Let us see that desperation can often be a gift. And let us draw near to you. Your word tells us if we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Father, release us from the notion that we have to pray away every trouble and invite us into that moment where the or we can see that the crisis could be the very thing that's driving us to draw near. Now, God, in this moment, 
of decision speak to our hearts. In Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. One quick story, Michael. I've told the story. It's just never going to stop being a good illustration. My dad, uh, Katie, you, probably, you always remember this better than I do. I think it was a Tuesday morning when my dad died. Our office had been flooded because a pipe burst next to us, and Katie and I had gone in earlier, and we were literally vacuuming up water. And I'm grumping about and growling about everything because I'm so angry that this is happening. The office is going to stink, and the water is soaked through the car and cr concrete and the carpet, and that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, you know, I got the vacuum running, and I'm fussing at Katie, and I'm fussing at the walls, and I'm fussing at the water, and rah, 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 rah. And my phone rings, and I almost didn't hear it because we had this shop back going. And I heard it, and it was my nephew, and I'm like, what is this guy doing calling me? And, uh, you know, I got one of those families that doesn't call during the work day a lot, you know. I answer it, and he says, you know, Papa's gone. Suddenly, I just didn't care about the carpet. I didn't care about the water. I didn't care about the shop back. I had one concern. Katie didn't have her license or anything at that point. Like, I need somebody to watch over my daughter. And Katie, who did I call? I called somebody. Huh? I called your mama. I called your mama. She come. Okay, I... Tammy, Tammy had your back. You see, you see, crisis will make you decide that a lot of things that you thought were important, like a few minutes before, just aren't important. Imagine your child being sick. Imagine how clarifying that is. All right, here's the biggest crisis of all. Experiencing anything where you're leaving God out of it. That's clarifying. That's clarifying. As we sing, what are we going to sing, Michael? Huh? All the poor and powers. Perfect song. Perfect song. As we sing, just, just ask yourself, you know, what has got me distracted away from what's important? And, and maybe you're so caught up in your thinking, you, you, you know, you, you can't see it. Humble yourself and say, God, is there anything that's keeping me from drawing near to you? Maybe you've never drawn near to him. Maybe he's drawn you into this moment so you can see that he's not only as willing to get involved, he's able to save us of our sin, cure us of our sickness, and bring us to his father. How do we do that? We take his undeserved gift of faith and we put it in him. Put it in Jesus. Believe on his name and his finished work. Receive him as Lord. Not my word. The Bible says you'll be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God and the destiny of hell. More than anything. More than anything of all. You'll be saved of being absent from his presence. That's the best part. You're saved from being absent. This means you're saved to be in present. Let the Holy Spirit speak. The altar's yours.